you, God. Lord, would you help us as we listen to your word this morning to really open our hearts to you. It's your voice that we need to hear, not mine. So Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. I grew up in the church, literally pretty much in the church. Uh, my dad was a pastor growing up, and often my mom was the church organist, depending on who else was available and uh, how scheduling things went. I'm the third of four kids, and so I think, I'm, I, think I was born on a Friday, and I think I went to church that following Sunday. <laughs> My mom was one of those people who was just like, well, we're all going. So we all went, and we all always went. She talks about how uh, she remembers when I was just learning to crawl. I didn't like other people besides mom when I was a baby. So she couldn't hand me off to somebody in the sanctuary. So she would put me on a blanket next to the organ and she would be playing. And she remembers one Sunday I had suddenly learned to crawl and she was playing the hymns and looking down and I was just crawling off somewhere. And she was going, hey, hey. <laughs> so then I needed to be put in the church nursery and um, I was not a fan of the church nursery. She said that she would bring me and put me in a stroller and get me all set and face me toward the wall and hope that, she, that I would never notice for the whole hour that she wasn't there. And if they needed to give me a bottle, they would reach around the stroller with just a hand and feed me. <laughs> but since that time, my experience of the body of Christ has really improved. <laughs> it has really improved. Since mom and dad were always busy on Sunday, I sat with different people all the time, and I learned that any grandma or grandpa in the church was fair game to be my grandma or grandpa. I sat with so many wonderful ladies who would get mints out of their purse and share them with me during the sermon, or grandpas who would let me put my head on their lap and sleep. I remember sitting with my first grade teacher during uh, worship, and she would hand me her bulletin and say, Kristen, circle all the letter E's you can find. <laughs> she would give me little educational things to do. <laughs> and when I was not very big, I got a job in church, which thrilled me to death. We, when we had communion, we had those little glass cups. Any of you grow up doing communion like that? Yeah. And there was a little spot in every pew where you could set those cups, a little circle, and at the end, they all needed to be gathered and then brought to the kitchen where there were ladies there who would wash them all and get them ready for next time, and they gave me my own basket as like a five-year-old and let me go around and gather all those little cups and bring them to the kitchen, which I thought was the best, the best. After a while, I got to sing in church choir. We always got to go to all the church dinners we got the leftovers because we were the pastor's family. I think my kids have grown up saying that's one of the greatest parts of being a pastor's family. You get so many good leftovers from church events. We got some last week, didn't we, on Thursday? Yeah, we did. I love the church. 
It taught me to pray. The church taught me to sing, to worship, to love Jesus. I can remember sitting in the balcony in my church as a kid, watching, it was something like the Jesus film that uh, my dad had brought, I think maybe from the Billy Graham Association. Anyway, it was a, a, a movie all about Jesus, and then we all got a little booklet kind of explaining the plan of salvation, and then there was an invitation. If you wanted Jesus to live in your heart, you could make that commitment, and you could fill out the last page of that little booklet, and I remember thinking, yes, that is what I want, and I tried to fill out that that last page, but I wasn't quite sure how to write my name yet. <laughs> so I must have been like four years old. It was all those people in the body of Christ that taught me what it was to love Jesus, to be the church. I'm a pastor because I love the church. I love Jesus, but my passion is to see Lots of people love Jesus too. And I love the church. At certain points in my life, I've had the opportunity to say, is this really the path? Is there a different one? You know, teaching or social work or so many. There's a lot of good ways to really help people, but I, every time I have felt that, my heart is with the church. And my heart is with all of you. My passion is to see this church be the vehicle for life change, for world change. Isn't it crazy and mysterious that the church is Jesus' plan for turning this world upside down, for redeeming this world? I mean, look at us. We're just regular people, right? Someone once said, when you get this many sinners together all in one place, it's bound to stink sometimes, <laughs> right? I mean, we're not perfect. We are good at hurting each other sometimes. But we're God's plan. He has no other plan for redeeming this world besides the church. And I think that's kind of crazy, but I do know that God knows best. I think it's also really exciting and really awe-inspiring. And I believe that God is crying out for more and more people to live into that vision. That's what I do, why I do what I do, to help us all live into that vision that God has. You know, we have this idea of, of what the church is and what we're supposed to do. We could probably make a pretty good list of what it means to be life-changing and world-changing followers of Jesus. But that vision is constantly threatened, isn't it? You all know about identity theft, how people can skim off your credit card number or hack into your password somehow and get your personal information and then they can go around pretending to be you and buy wonderful, expensive things. We found uh, plane tickets to Singapore on our credit card bill once a couple years ago. <laughs> I don't want to go to Singapore, but somebody else was going to Singapore on my credit card. Identity theft, however they do it, they pretend to be you and then they take what is yours. 
Identity theft occurs to Christians all the time because there is an enemy of our souls who is constantly trying to take what is ours, take our identity in Christ, and make us think that we are not who Jesus says that we are. There's a preacher who says that identity theft happens when the great evil thief tries to defeat you, discourage you, delay you from obedience, deny you of your privileges, and deceive you about your real purpose on this planet. He can always make it all letter Ds. I can never do that. First Peter, our passage that we heard read this morning, was written to a group of Christians who were struggling to hold on to their identity. They were living in a world that was very much in a lot of ways, like the world that we live in, a world where it's not easy to be a Christian, a world where they were looking at the church and saying, what is this really supposed to be and do? Who are we? What is our identity? When you hear the word church, what do you think of? Is it positive or negative? Do you think of an organization? or an organism, do you think of a a place to go, or a a group of people? It's kind of all of those things. On the front of our bulletin, we put a picture of our building, but we all know that really the church is, is not just a building, right? It's people. It's you. Look around you. That's the church. We are the church. It's people. It's not through buildings that God's kingdom comes although this building is a wonderful tool to help God's work happen. It's through the gathered people called the church. Jesus gave this vision for the body of Christ, for the church, for who we are, and what his plan for us is when he taught and healed and lived and died and rose again on this earth. And then the rest of the New Testament fleshes that out for us, gives us Uh, more of a deeper understanding of what Jesus really meant when he said those things. As I said, 1 Peter was written to people who were in a situation, in a lot of ways, with the same challenges that we face today, where it wasn't easy to commit their most precious things, their time and their money, to the body of Christ that there were a lot of pressures not to do that. A place, a culture they, that they lived in that was really didn't understand uh, who the church was. It was easy to be misunderstood or mischaracterized by their culture. They got a lot of flack in their culture for being Christians. You know that one of the common accusations against Christians of that time was that they were cannibals because they... They talked about eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ. And that was a big deal for them. (laughs) They got a lot of flack for that. Well, we don't get accused of being cannibals anymore, but we do get flack sometimes for being Christians. No one's trying to drag us out of our homes at night and killing us. But increasingly, it's not easy, is it? It's not just going with the flow to get up and gather as the body of Christ we got to go against the flow now to do that, don't we? And I think it's going to get increasingly harder 
and harder. Listen again to what Peter says to these people who are wrestling with these challenges about who they are. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every morning feeling like that. (laughs) I don't wake up every morning saying, I am a royal priesthood, (laughs) yay, a holy nation. I need a reminder. That's why we need to be in God's word, to remember who our identity is and not let it get stolen. I signed up a few years ago for Credit Karma. It uh, sends me a credit report or a reminder to check my credit report every few weeks. You know how often I check my credit report before I got those reminders? Never. You, you know you're supposed to, right? But it's like at the bottom of a really giant to-do list. But now that I get those little reminders, I do it every time they send me one. All right, I'll check my credit report. So far, no news is good news. No one has stolen my identity. But if they do, I'll be on them because I'm going to check it. And it won't take me too long to discover it. That's why we need to be in God's word all the time. So... We remember who we are so our identity doesn't get stolen. So we remember who God has made us. Listen to that passage in the message, same, those same two verses. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Isn't that good news? We should probably read that passage over ourselves every morning to remember who we are, whose we are. It reminds us that we are chosen. Did any of you ever stand in school and wait in gym class to be chosen? Was that a good experience for anybody in this room? Maybe a few of you who are very athletic. (laughs) Maybe not surprisingly, I was never the first person chosen for kickball. I could kick, but I couldn't catch. I couldn't pitch. I was an okay runner. I was never the first person chosen. And the deepest thing in everyone's heart is you don't want to be the last person chosen, right? What a gift to see right there in black and white. In God's eyes, when you become a follower of Christ, you get to know deep down in your heart, you are chosen. You are chosen. On the most important team in the universe, God chooses you. You never have to stand at the end of the line waiting, hoping God will choose you. He is ready to choose you the moment you put up your hand and say, 
hey, I'm in. I'm in. You are chosen, accepted. You belong. As soon as you let Jesus into your heart, you belong in the body of Christ. What a gift. He says, you are chosen. You are God's special possession. A chosen people. God's special possession. You're valuable. Think about your most special possession. And think of how you have a special place for it. And you know where it is. And you treasure it. It makes you smile when you see it. That's how God feels about his children. He smiles when he thinks of us. He knows exactly where we are all the time. He protects us. He values us. We are God's special possession. It says we are a royal priesthood. I don't know about you, but I don't think of myself very often in those terms. A royal priesthood. Royal means you're related to the king. You're related to the monarch. When, when Peter here says to the church that they are priests, he's saying two things. Priests had two distinct functions. One was that the priests in, in, in uh, Jewish uh, religion had direct access to God. They were the ones who could go right to God and talk with God on behalf of people. And he's saying that because of Jesus has been opened up to all of us. All of us have direct access to God. We don't have to pray through someone else. We don't have to ask someone else to, to talk to God for us because we're not worthy enough. You never have to say that um, somebody else needs to be a go-between between you and God because you're not worthy all of us, because of what Jesus has done, have direct access to God. So that was the first function of a priest, to have direct access to God. The second one was this, that the priest was, rep- was responsible to, to represent God to the people. And that role has been given to us as too, uh, given to us as well, that we get to go to God, but then we get also to bring God to the world. That is our job as these royal priests that that Jesus has created, that we must be certain that the world notices Christ. That's our job. We get to bring the goodness of God to the world. Remember how it was phrased in the message? We get to be God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he has made for you. The church, according to Peter, is meant to be known for making Jesus known. That's our job. Peter calls them a holy nation. Holy means that they are separate. We are separate from the other people in the world were, were consecrated to God, unique, distinct, not because of something that we have done, but because of what God has done for us and in us. He set us apart. He calls us a holy nation. A nation means that we're a community. 
A community of people gathered under a common government with Jesus as our leader. Jesus is the founding pastor of this church. Jesus is our head, our Lord, our leader. And it says he's called us out of darkness into God's wonderful light. Out of darkness into the light. If you've ever had the experience of being lost in the dark, literally, you know what a relief that one bit of light is. If you've ever had the experience of being lost in the dark spiritually, and then to experience the light of Christ, wow, there is nothing like it from light to darkness. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, not this book that, or this uh, letter that we're looking at today, but wrote much of it. He started his, his uh, journey in the New Testament with a different name. We, he was called Saul before Jesus got a hold of him and he changed his name. When he was still Saul, he was dead set against Christians. He was a leader of the Jewish faith, didn't understand really who Jesus was and why he came and thought that it was destroying rather than fulfilling his faith. And so he was going around with arrest warrants, getting Christians arrested, dragged off to prison, and often killed. That was his mission in life. So he's on his way to the city of Damascus to get some more Christians arrested, jailed, and killed, and Jesus comes to him. Jesus doesn't usually do this, knock people off their feet, but he did for Saul. He knocked him off his feet, shined a bright light on him and said, Saul, you're not just persecuting Christians when you're doing this, you're persecuting me. And then he made Saul blind for three days, put him in darkness to think about that for three days. Imagine Saul sitting in the darkness, thinking about that truth that the body of Christ Christians are Christ himself. We're not just people who are followers of Christ. Jesus says, you're not just persecuting Christians, you're persecuting me, Jesus. And then, at the end of that three days, he sent someone to help Saul see again. In his book, Give Them Christ, Steve Seaman says that when Paul walked out of that darkness, he walked out with a whole new appreciation for the spiritual connection between believers. He says this, when you persecute the church, Saul is told, you are directly, not indirectly, persecuting Christ himself. That's how close the connection is between the risen Lord and his followers. So when we come to faith, in Christ through the Holy Spirit, we actually, get this, we actually become part of his resurrected body. It is his very life, his resurrected life in which we share and participate. This is what makes the church, Seaman says, essentially a living organism, not an organization. It's in an organism, all the cells share in the common life. Likewise, the body of Christ 
All the parts, regardless of how distinct and diverse they are, share a common life, the life of our risen Lord. You know, it doesn't just happen. You've all heard that saying, just because you're sitting in McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Just because you come to church doesn't make you part of the church. How does it happen? Well, in the next verse, Paul says this, once you, or Peter says this, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And he says how it happens. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We become part of the church when we ask for God's mercy, when we acknowledge we can't do this on our own, this life We need your mercy, God. When we ask for God's mercy, ask for his forgiveness, welcome him into our lives, repent, let him be leader of our lives, and invite the Holy Spirit to come and live in us. When we are part of the church, when we say that word church, we are saying something profound. We're saying something life-changing and world-changing. I'm going to ask you to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to stand. So let's pray, and then we will, we will stand together. God, we need your mercy. We cannot do this on our own. Lord, if we've been holding on to any parts of our lives... And just showing up to let you make our lives a little bit better with your input, then Lord, we want to throw open the doors of our hearts to you today and receive your mercy. God, we give ourselves to you. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to be your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand. I want you to repeat after me. This is right out of 1 Peter. You ready? We are a chosen people. We are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A holy God's nation. special possession. God's special possession. We declare God's praises. We declare God's praises. We've been brought out of darkness. And into his wonderful life. We are, we are Bemis Point United Methodist Church. Thanks be to God. I'm going to send you out with a blessing. If you can stay and sing, stay and sing. If you're on your way to Sunday school, go ahead. Go out knowing who you are and whose you are and share the good news wherever you go. Amen. Go 